Welcome to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm D.T. Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Agersfar Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at dtkane.com. Here's the show. Part 3. Chapter 8. It was cold and gloomy the morning they were set to leave for the trials, as it always was in erstwhile. But inside Torchsire Library was a flurry of action, busier than Baz could ever recall seeing it. Most of the fuss was centered around Deliritus, of course. The Duke had given him a new cloak, and Deliritus was admiring it in a stand mirror. Supposedly, it was fire-resistant, though Baz wondered how effective it'd actually be if they ran into a true fire-breather. It certainly hadn't stopped Deliritus from lighting up like a torch when the Duke had handed it to him, though if the way the Duke had appraised his son when he'd put it on was any indication, Baz suspected the only reason for the gift was to ensure Deliritus looked good for the opening ceremony. Meanwhile, the library's servants were bustling about, hastening to finish packing all the supplies they'd be bringing on their journey, some of which seemed entirely unnecessary. Was that a grappling hook one of the servants had just tossed in Deliritus's saddlebag? Was there a mountain between here and Tome Baz didn't know about? Bastion? Bastion? Oh, good. I, I haven't missed you. Hmm? Baz had posted himself in the most inconspicuous nook he could find in the library's entry hall, just trying to stay out of the servant's way. Usually, they ignored him, and when they had to interact with him, they always shied away, just like the other speakers. But today, a few of them had actually smiled at him in a way that he could only describe as... encouraging. It made him nervous. Oh, it's you, Liana. She pursed her lips at him. Don't you think they're going a bit light on the food? he asked, before she could get out a sarcastic remark. I mean, I know Tome's actually a bit closer than Fortune, and I suppose that looks like enough food for a two-week trip there and the way back, assuming we eat like mice, of course. But the trip to Fortune is over paved roads, and you don't have to worry about Cityless robbing you and worms frying you on the way. He was going to say more until he noticed Liana smiling. What? You're nervous. He opened his mouth to object, but then realized that was exactly what a nervous person would do. Instead, he huffed out a bitter laugh. You're flaming right, I'm nervous. I might not like being a torchsire slave, but at least they feed me at regular intervals, and I have a dry place to sleep each night. There's food that grows in the wild, and plenty of game. You'll manage. Baz shook his head. I wouldn't know a wild mushroom from poison ivy, and can you picture me hunting? Liana laughed. I can't even picture you sleeping outdoors. Ugh. I will hunt. Baz started. He'd forgotten rocks was even there. He had a tendency to do that, stand still as a statue. It seemed impossible that a man as large as him could disappear like he did, but between his drab clothing and ashy skin, he nearly looked a part of the wall. 
Baz waved a hand in Rox's direction without looking at him. Your footsteps will scare even the deafest animal away, Rox. Liana sighed at Baz, then nodded toward Rox. I expect you'll be taking care of both of them. It was more of a statement than a question, which drew a frown from Rox. My oath is too deliritous, Rox said. Yes, Liana replied, but he'll be safer with a speaker available for spells, yes? Rox lowered his eyebrows, and Baz was about ready to step in between the two of them to stop Rox from hurting Liana, but then he let out a rumble that sounded surprisingly like a laugh. That garment suits you, the harbor said. The illumined ones are known for their truths amongst my people, and you turn words just like an enigma. Liana's robe was burgundy, as it was every day, though rather than the typical conservator's sigil, this one had a book dragon stitched down its side in gold thread that resembled the statue in her workshop. She inclined her head to the harbor. Baz scoffed. Sorry to break it to you, rocks, but book dragons have been extinct since the burning. You know, Bastion, Liana said, turning a sour glare on him, you don't always have to be so negative. It's going to be a dangerous trip. Having a harbor looking out for you isn't the worst thing that could happen. Actually, Baz could think of few things he'd like less than owing anything to the man who'd ripped Tax's eyes from their sockets. But instead of saying that out loud, he just laughed. <laughs> that almost sounded like you're worried about me. She shoved him, and since Baz had already been leaning against the wall, he nearly fell over only catching himself by grabbing hold of a pedestal supporting what he assumed was an expensive vase. It wobbled, but didn't fall. It's myself I'm worried about, Liana said with a sniff. I had a month's worth of chores planned for you. The workshop needs a thorough cleaning, and the retirees' bandages need changing, my lamps relighting, quills sharpening. The list goes on, and now you won't be here. Baz rolled his eyes. I might not be crazy about this trip, but I don't regret missing a cleaning day or two. Liana chuckled, then said, Here. She reached into a satchel slung over her shoulder. I got something for you. She held out a package wrapped in brown paper. Y you what? Liana's face reddened. Would you just take it? Baz considered the package for a moment as if it might burn him. He supposed Tax had given him a thing or two when he'd been young. And sure, Deliritus gave him things on occasion, mostly headaches. But this looked suspiciously like a gift, and it was only after it began to look like Liana was considering shoving him again that he took the package. He turned it over in his hands a few times. Whatever was inside was soft and flexible. Not a sword, then. Good. He never even held one of those. Would you just open it? Pez laughed, and she thought he sounded nervous? He tore back the paper rather unceremoniously to reveal... a cloak. He grasped the garment by the shoulders and let its length fall to the ground. It was black, of course. That was the only color speakers could wear. But it was a heavy wool, probably as nice as the material the Duke had just given Deliritus. Like his typical robe, which, incidentally... He'd actually been directed not to wear, in favor of a better traveling tunic and trousers. It had the torchsire sigil stitched over one breast, and the rune of the destroyers over the other. And best of all, it has a hood! 
he exclaimed. Oh, that's great. My ears are always so flaming freezing, and my scalp. Couldn't they let me have a little hair? And... Baz realized he was rambling and shut his mouth. Liana was beaming at him, which he found actually made him feel pretty good. Thank you, he said. Sure, Liana replied, smile broadening. A moment later, however, it lessened. Be careful out there, Bastion. Hilar and Marla have been working with their speakers basically from birth. Hilar is obsessed with winning. I don't think he'd go so far as murder, but Marla? Liana shrugged. We'll be just fine, Baz said, twisting the cloak about in the air so that it settled onto his shoulders. He pulled up the hood, even though they were indoors, just to make sure it worked. Knowing the Lyritus, at the first sign of trouble, he'll simply surrender, and we'll spend a month camping within sight of the city walls. He wished he felt as confident as those words sounded, but at least they earned him a small smile from Liana as her eyes fell on the hood he'd pulled up though the expression didn't reach her voice. I don't know, Bastion. Deliritus is under a lot of pressure, and that does strange things to a man. Sometimes they're good, sometimes... She shrugged again. Come on, Liana, Baz said. You're talking like Deliritus is actually a person. With feelings. We all know that's not the case. Her mouth tilted downward. You really need to give him more credit. I know your history, but... Bastion, I say, stop lollygagging. We'll be late for the ceremony. Deliritus stood before them, looking particularly foolish, with a slender rapier strapped at his side. Baz could see it was already getting caught in his new cloak. Ah, Conservator Liana. Deliritus swept a low bow, which she returned with a curtsy and a reader Deliritus. You'll take good care of the books while I'm gone, yes? Always she said, and the retirees as well. Baz pretended not to notice the flick of her eyes she gave Deliritus in Baz's direction. Right, Deliritus said, clearing his throat. Of course, be sure to see to... He trailed off, face reddening. Baz felt his face heating too, though for a different reason than Deliritus's. Well, just make sure they're cared for. Right, out to the horses, Bastion. We'll be riding to the ceremony. With that, he strode past them and out to the front of the library, where the horses were already saddled and loaded with supplies. The Duke was there on a horse of his own, once more wearing clothing that appeared to be worth more than half the books owned by the library, reins wrapped awkwardly around his ruined hands. Well, I guess I'll be seeing you, Liana said. Scribe's luck. Bess smiled. Thanks. I'll be back soon. They stood there just staring at one another. For a moment, Bass thought Liana meant to hug him, or perhaps expected him to hug her. Odd. But then she turned and walked deeper into the library. Stranger still, Bass felt a bit disappointed she'd left without hugging him. Or at least a handshake. There is truth between the two of you, rumbled Rox. Shut up, Rox. Baz said before thinking. He cringed, eyes darting to the harbor and half expecting to find himself without the top of his head by the time his eyes landed on Rox. But Rox was just standing there. The leather mask he wore covered his mouth, of course, but the way his eyes were crinkled at the edges was Rox... 
Bez threw his hands into the air and turned away from the giant. This was going to be a long trip. All right, welcome back to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Uh, today is February 22nd, 2022, as I record this, which is episode 7 of the podcast. Uh, two, 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 two. Lots of twos uh, in today's <laughs> date here. Uh, um, I guess that's probably not going to happen again for, for quite some time, so special date today. Um... Right, so a bit shorter of an episode this week. Like I mentioned last week, I have a trip coming up, so I'm recording a couple episodes uh, this week. But still plenty of us to discuss here uh, for Chapter 8, right after uh, we uh, get my personal update uh, over with here. <laughs> so so what do I have going on? I am uh, 120 pages into entering my handwritten edits for Declaimer's Flight. <laughs> I actually wrote the wrong title here in the uh, my notes here. Uh, so yeah, 120 pages into entering my handwritten edits of Declaimer's Flight uh, into my computer, which is, uh, that's spoken book number three, or part three, I should say. Um, <laughs> there's an interesting little aside. Um, I have them divided into parts, not books, because... I thought it sounded stupid to say spoken books, book one, book two. Too much repetition there. So it's uh, the spoken books, spoken books uprising, part one, part two, part three, uh, etc. Uh, so there you go. Uh, so right, so entering my handwritten edits, that's my last step um, before I send it off to my editor. Um, and then it'll be a few months before I get that back because uh, she's still working on the second book right now. Uh, and speaking of uh, the second book, uh, the cover for that is nearly ready, and I'm planning to reveal that uh, on March 11th, so uh, keep your eyes peeled for that, and uh, if you're not following me on Facebook or Twitter already, um, and you're interested in seeing that, uh, go uh, go check out my profiles there, because I'll be posting it to, to both of those places, as well as my website. I am, uh, I'm at author. Uh, at both Twitter and Facebook, and then dtkane.com uh, for the website. Um, right, so that's uh, that's the writing stuff I've got going on. Um, like I said, I'm taking a trip to Chicago next week. Got a work conference for a couple days, but then uh, uh, several days of just uh, straight vacation. Uh, with me and my wife, we have uh, lots of uh, restaurants planned out, and... Uh, we're going to be spending a couple of day, couple of days up in Andersonville, which is north of the city, a nice little neighborhood up there. There's a great beer bar up there, Belgian beer bar. So we'll be eating lots of mussels and frites and drinking some beer. And uh, we're going to go to the, the Green Mill Jazz Club one night. And um, we're going to go see uh, the Infinite Wrench, which is a... Uh, it's kind of... It's like a um improv like play <laughs> almost it's it's pretty cool they try to put on uh, 30 plays uh in 60 minutes and it's all improvised and it's in a very small uh very small theater um and it's uh it's a really good show we've seen it once 
before kind of a private uh, small theater company. I'll uh, I'll throw a link in the show notes to that if anyone is uh, interested. The name of uh, the name of the theater company is is escaping me, but uh, but I'll definitely uh, I'll toss it in the show notes. And if you're ever uh, in Chicago and looking for something maybe a little uh, off the uh, beaten touristy path to do, I would uh, uh, highly recommend it. Um, other than that, a um, little bit of an up and down week for me. Got a couple uh, negative reviews <laughs> uh, on books uh, this week, which were also tempered by uh, I got a nice review of the Actus Trials uh, on Goodreads, and uh, someone left a nice review of the podcast uh, as well uh, on Apple Podcasts. So, uh, so thank you, thank you for those. Uh, whoever, if if you're listening out there, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, you know, the bad reviews, they always get me a little more down than the good ones bring me up, but I'm, I'm pretty good at not dwelling on the, the bad ones too much either. You know, you can't, uh, you can't please everyone. You know, there are, there are people out there who don't like Lord of the Rings, right? So <laughs> if there are people out there who don't like Tolkien, there are certainly going to be people out there, uh, who don't like me. So I just gotta, I just gotta keep that in mind. Um, you know, and sometimes, geez, you know, <laughs> One review says they loved something, and that's why they gave me five stars. And another review gives me, you know, two stars for the exact same thing that the five-star review liked. So, you know, you can't please everyone. Um, though, if, if you are uh, looking to help me out, those the reviews uh, do help. You know, they help uh, with the uh, the algorithms. Help uh, if you have more reviews, you're more likely to uh, get bumped up on the. Uh, the search results list on places like Amazon. So uh, if you do have a spare moment and uh, you've read and liked the Actus Trials, uh, hop on over to wherever you uh, buy your books and uh, think about leaving me a review. It really does help. Or you can also uh, drop a review on Apple Podcasts of this podcast if you're enjoying it, uh, or wherever else you listen to podcasts um, as well. So uh, try not to do too much (laughs) self-promotion on the show here, but, uh, but if you are enjoying what I'm doing, uh, it does help me out if you leave a review and, uh, and it's free, right? So, uh, thanks. Thanks very much for that. Um, okay. So let's hop into our discussion, uh, of chapter eight. So we start off, uh, in Torchlight Library, a couple, a uh, couple days have passed, right? Um, it's the morning they're leaving for the trials and, uh, we mentioned, uh, I think back in chapter seven that the trials were two days away, so a couple days have passed. Uh, Baz is just kind of standing off the side, right, trying to—I uh, don't know—is he—is he trying to—is uh, he trying to not attract attention because he just uh, doesn't want to get in trouble, or is he uh, trying to avoid having to do any work? Uh, <laughs> not entirely clear, um, but for whatever uh, for whatever reason, he is standing off to the side. Uh, we see Delirious' father gives him a, a parting gift, this new uh, cloak, right? But, uh, you know, Delirious clearly likes it. He's, uh, you know, he's standing, looking in the mirror, uh, all proud of his new cloak. But, uh, you know, Baz surmises that, uh, you know, Duke Octavenal probably only gave it to Delirious so he would look good for the upcoming opening ceremony. So that's kind of a little bit sad, right? You know, Delirious is over there all all happy about dad's gift, but, uh, you know, dad, dad and him maybe not quite on the uh, same page, um, about that. So, uh, maybe, uh, maybe another sympathy point there for Delirious. I know he's got a, uh, he's got a large deficit to overcome here in the sympathy department, but, uh, 
Um, but there you go. Um, got the dad. The dad, <laughs> the dad who uh, maybe doesn't uh, care for him as much as a dad, a dad should. Um, you know, Baz, uh, you know, his typical dour self here, right? He is kind of like ticking off <laughs> some of the dangers he might uh, face out in the wilds here. He, you know, he lists worms and sidulus. Uh, and also, you know, fire breathers, right? And I guess we can we can guess what a fire breather is, right? Um, you know, that's a that's a dragon, <laughs> if, uh, <laughs> if if you weren't guessing there. Uh, so you know, maybe we'll see a, a fire breathing dragon here at some point uh, in the future. And then we know what cityless are already, though it is interesting uh, to note that they are just kind of wandering out there uh, in the wild. So that's another danger they might be facing. And then worms. Uh, a little, maybe a little less clear what exactly a worm uh, is going to be. But, um, you know, if you've, if you've read any fantasy before, you know, it's kind of a, a giant serpent, you know, a, a dragon that doesn't fly, <clears throat> maybe. So, you know, lots of monsters out there that Baz has to, uh, <laughs> has to worry about, right? You know, and that's, uh, you know, that's why the readers generally spend so much time uh, getting ready for the trials, right? You know, they're, you know, it's, this is not a, uh, you know, this is not a soccer match, right? You know, you could go out there and die. So, um, right. And, you know, Baz, uh, you know, he's uh, always ready with the quips, right? And <laughs> just reminding us again how unprepared he is, you know. I wouldn't know the difference between a mushroom and poison ivy, you know. <laughs> he says that to Liana when she says, oh, well, you know, you can find food out in the wild, Baz. It's not going to be a big deal. Um, and speaking of Liana, obviously another interaction between them here, you know, she comes and, uh, you know, finds him to bid him farewell. So it seems whatever hard feelings, uh, they had for each other when they departed uh, back in chapter seven are, uh, are forgotten here, or at least, uh, you know, being swept aside for now for the sake of, uh, Baz leaving here. Um, you know, and we really see how comfortable Baz is with her, right? Um, you know, actually admitting to her that he is, uh, nervous. Uh, you're flaming right I'm nervous, <laughs> he says. He says to her after she, you know, kind of catches him, him rambling on about just, you know, random things. Um, you know, and he, th he thinks, you know, he thinks about denying it, but right, right. But then he's like, oh, well, she'll see right through that. Um, but he doesn't seem to have too much, too much issue saying that to her. Um, you know, and we also see the feeling is kind of reciprocated here. Uh, Liana's actually, uh, obviously concerned for Baz. She even asks Rox to look out for him, right? You know, and using some convincing reasoning to do so, um, you know, Rox, she, you know, she says, well, you're gonna look after both of them, right, Rox? And Rox is like, well, my oath is too deliritous. But he'll be safer with a speaker available for spells, yes? You know, she actually, uh, <laughs> she actually impresses Rox there. Remember, the Enigmans are the ones who, uh, uh, like to twist words around, and Baz is like, oh, you turn words just like an enigma, which uh, you kind of get the sense is kind of a big compliment from Rox, because he, uh, you know, he he puts a lot of faith into, you know, what words mean, right? You know, the words mean what they mean. We've heard Rox say that catchphrase a, a few times uh, already. So, uh, interesting here, and, you know, like I said last week, one of the homework assignments was to, uh, keep an eye uh, <clears throat> on rocks in this chapter this is you know and we don't even see that much from rocks here but you know this is kind of the most interaction we've had with him so far and 
definitely the first time we've seen him without Deliritus uh, also present. Um, the first thing I wanted to bring up with him was actually uh, a point I kind of failed to mention last week, but uh, did you put together that uh, even apparently after having accepted uh, Deliritus's argument back in Chapter 2 that Yeltax was a threat to him? You know, Rox didn't kill Yeltax, obviously, because we saw that he is alive uh, last chapter. Um, and that's despite... Deliritus told him to kill uh, Tax, right? But apparently Rox took a Rox took a middle ground here. You know, he, he saw that he couldn't just uh, ignore the, th- the potential threat that, that Yeltax posed. But, you know, he didn't just go out and kill him either, even though he probably would have been justified in doing so because his master was telling him to. Um, so, you know, we've definitely seen that Rox takes his oath to protect Deliritus seriously, but, you know, now it seems like he's got some mercy in him too, right? So, you know, uh, maybe not quite the hideous monster we initially, uh, thought he was going to be. And certainly we're only seeing Rox through the lens of Baz, right? You know, Baz is our perspective character here, so... You have to keep that in mind, too. Baz, obviously, <laughs> has plenty of reason uh, not to like rocks. Uh, even though, you know, he gives some more signs here in this Chapter 8 um, that he's not, like, the worst guy in the world. You know, he offers uh, he offers to go hunting, right, when Baz admits he doesn't know the first thing about finding food uh, in the wild. And, you know, then he gives Liana that compliment we just talked about. He even laughs when he does it, right? You know, he, he rumbles. That's a... Uh, <laughs> That's Rox's dialogue tag a lot. Rox doesn't say things. He, Rox rumbled, not Rox said. Um, you know, and he also <laughs> he kind of puts up with Baz, right? You know, uh, you know, Baz makes a few kind of uh, you know sarcastic remarks to Rox, and it's not like Rox is batting him, you know, punching him over the head or anything. Uh, let's see, you know, you, your <laughs> your footsteps will scare the deafest animal away, Rox, and. And he just tells Rox to shut up at one point, too, right? You know, and Rox just brushes Baz's uh, sarcasm off. And then, <laughs> do you catch this at the end here, what Rox says to Baz? You know, there is truth between the two of you. And he, uh, <laughs> he smiles when he says it right now. Now, I don't, don't come right out and says he, say he smiles right, but, you know, Baz sees the eyes crinkle, and then he gets all, you know, all in a, in a huff about how Rox is... Uh, Rox is acting, so it looks like maybe Rox sees uh, uh, a bit of what we've already noticed going on between between Baz and Baz and Liana. So Rox is a Rox is an observant guy here uh, as well. So you know, let's keep uh, keep an eye on Rox here, as I as I've been saying. Um, I'm sure you're picking up now. Uh, Baz has, you know, or excuse me, Rox Rox has more than one dimension to him, even though, uh, even though Baz just wants to think he is a bloodthirsty monster. We've already, we've already seen that's not the case, and we will, uh, continue to see it, so, uh, look forward to some more of that development of Rox's character. Right, so, uh, the gift. Liana has a gift for Baz here, uh, right? Uh, a new a new cloak and and a nice one right you know Baz says uh, it's made of the same material as uh, as the new one Deliritus just got from his father so you know Liana obviously uh, you know put some thought and you know probably some money <coughs> into this if it's the same quality material that a that a noble is getting 
um, you know, and it's even got a hood, right? And Baz is really excited about that. Remember how, <laughs> remember how he complained back in chapter three how speakers aren't permitted to wear hats? You know, what does he, what does he say? Oh, he rambles on here, right? It has a hood, he exclaimed. Oh, that's great. My ears are always so flaming freezing, and my scalp. Couldn't they let me have a little hair? And, you know, <laughs> he realizes he's rambling at that point, but clearly he really, he really likes the thing. And, uh, you know, it seems like Liana knew just what to get him, too. So, you know, again, Liana, uh, Liana knows Baz, and uh, she pays attention, it would seem. <coughs> um, though, uh, interestingly, you know, Liana also tells Baz to, uh, to give Deliritus a little, <laughs> uh, a little break here, right, when Baz uh, criticizes him. You know, because Liana notes, you know, he's under a lot of pressure um, from his father. And, uh, and I think she sees that Deliritus is a bit of a blind spot for Baz. And, you know, she's sensitive, um, I think. You know, she she knows what happens. She knows what happened to uh, Baz's brother, just like everyone else. Um, but she is trying to, uh, you know, he's tr- she's trying to warn him a little. You know, you can't you can't just write Deliritus off entirely. Um, you know, uh, what is Baz? And, again, we just see how... Um, how how little regard Baz has has for Deliritus when uh, you know, <coughs> pardon me, um, how little how much how or how little <laughs> regard Baz has for Deliritus? You know what does he say here? Uh, Come on, Liana, Baz said. You're talking like Deliritus is actually a person with feelings. We all know that's not the case. Um, yeah, Baz doesn't even want to think about uh, Deliritus as, uh, you know, as being a real human being here. And, you know, I think that's, you know, this is definitely a theme throughout the story here. Trust. Trust is a big theme here, uh, particularly learning to trust someone who, you know, broke your trust previously. Um, and Baz is going to have uh, varying levels of success dealing with that um, throughout the book. But, you know, he is trying to paint this, you know, he has plenty of reason to not like Deliritus, but he is painting as bad a picture as he can in his head to, to justify those feelings, right? And uh, that's just another thing to keep an eye on here. You know, is Baz, as the story progresses, is he going to be able to keep believing this internal monologue he has going on about uh, about Deliritus? We'll have to we'll have to see. Um, and then, of course, you know, a little uh, a little sappy here. At the end, you know, Liana and Baz part, kind of both uh, awkwardly, not exactly sure how to say goodbye to one another. And then Baz, uh, Baz is surprised to find he's uh, he's a little upset. She didn't give him a hug when she uh, walked away. So, um, you know, Baz is going to have someone to be thinking about while he's out in the wilds here. It would seem, and uh, we got this cloak as a as a reminder of uh, Liana waiting for him back in erstwhile and that is uh that's it for chapter eight so definitely uh definitely going a little shorter here than usual but you know uh, a little bit of a breath <coughs> uh a little bit of a breather after uh several uh very long episodes here so uh your homework assignment uh for next week will be reading chapter nine which is uh definitely longer than than chapter so we'll be back probably into like the uh, the hour longish range episode next week here, um, 
and we're going to see the opening ceremony for the trials. Um, we'll get some more details on the other competitors in the trials, Marla and Hellar, and we'll see each of their harbors and speakers as well that they're bringing with them. And then we'll get a bit of a history lesson about oration. Um, and we'll uh, see some connections. Uh, you know, some of the connections here that we've been making uh, with the prologue and kind of uh, kind of little clues that we've been seeing throughout the chapters that we've been talking about, some of those are going to come into greater focus here when we hear about the history uh, of oration during the opening ceremony. Uh, see if you can pick up on some of those uh, connections. Like I said, you know, we're constantly going back to that prologue and, and seeing the foundation it was laying. Uh, and we'll also, uh, not much homework here, I think, but we'll also hear kind of what the rules, the official rules of the trials are. Um, so that'll be interesting uh, as well. So that's what you have to look forward to next week. Uh, do your homework if you can. Um, but if you can't, don't worry, because as always, I will be doing all of your reading for you and answering all those questions uh, and many more on the next episode. Um, all right, listener question this week. We got one here from Linda in New York. Thanks for another question, Linda. And uh, she asks, DT, how much time per week do you spend working on your writing? Well, thanks for the question, <clears throat> Linda. And I, I do like these questions, uh, probably. Uh, probably just because I don't really have uh, much opportunity in the day-to-day -to, -day to talk about my actual writing process to anyone at all. Uh, so let's see. I think we've talked a little bit about my daily schedule uh, in the past, but just to go over it again, usually I wake up, uh, you know, I'd like to say I wake up at 6, but usually I don't manage to peel myself out of bed till about 6.30 go eat breakfast and walk the dog, and then I usually try to get about an hour of work in in the morning. Um, either that'll be <clears throat> editing time, or usually usually if I'm drafting something, I don't do a lot of creative stuff first thing in the morning, so I might be outlining a chapter. I plan to uh, be writing later on that day. Um, so I'll do that until you know about 9. Like I said, try to get at least an hour in. Maybe, maybe a little more. But around nine, that's when I start my uh, my day job, which I'm uh, I'm blessed to be able to do that mostly from home. So I do work in my my home office, uh, and sometimes during the day I have a little time, like at the lunch hour, to to do a little work on my writing. But usually, uh, usually uh, the day job really takes up most of my time between nine and five, and then I. Uh, <coughs> you know, go make dinner around 6 and uh, hang out with my wife for a little bit. Uh, and then it's usually back up to the office around 7, and then 7 to 10, um, you know, call it 2 hours, you know, 7.30 to 9.30 or 8 to 10, but call it 2 hours. So what's that, 3 hours, <coughs> 3 hours, 5 days a week, so that's 15, 15 hours. Maybe maybe a little less than that. Fridays aren't always. Fridays I usually try to take the evening off, so you know maybe call it fourteen hours, let's say, uh, during the week, and then and try to get at least three hours, 
three hours in each weekend day, sometimes a little more. So I guess let's call it between 20 and uh, 25 hours uh, each week. So, you know, not it's not quite a full-time job yet, but it's getting there. And, you know, on top of my already full-time job, you know, I've got <laughs> the plate's pretty full. But, um, but like I said before, you know, you are what you do every day. So I do really try to just... Uh, live by that mantra and I'm not going to get the stories out there unless I just keep plugging away on them so but yeah 20 20 to 25 hours I'd love to get to the point where I can uh, maybe flip it and I'm just working a day job for 20 hours and uh, I'm getting a solid 40 plus hours a week in on uh, the writing and the podcasting and all that good stuff but uh, but I'm in a pretty good pretty good spot right now so I just got to keep plugging away and I just got to keep reminding myself of that too you know the positive self-talk is uh, it's important for everyone but um, I think it's uh, especially important (laughs) for writers and really I'm just uh, I'm giving myself a pep talk here (laughs) more than more than anything uh, at this point but uh, you know writing a very solitary thing right I'm just sitting up here with my keyboard and my screen uh, most days I don't have anyone telling me if I'm doing anything right or, or wrong or anything uh in between so uh takes a lot of uh takes a lot of faith and confidence <laughs> in yourself to keep plugging away so uh you know i have days where i feel down and you know think everything i'm writing is uh <laughs> is total crap but uh but usually i can pull myself uh, out of those uh out of those attitudes uh pretty quickly so uh so another reason keep uh <laughs> keep sending me some uh some nice comments those uh those definitely help uh, help build me up. It's uh, it's nice to hear, uh, you know, when someone's actually enjoying uh, the stories <coughs> I am telling. So uh, maybe a little bit more than you were looking for there, Linda. But uh, I appreciate the question and uh, keep the questions coming, uh, all of you listeners out there. I love uh, talking about my writing process with you, or where I got certain ideas for things in the story, or you know. <coughs> within reason, anything else that you can think of, I would be uh, happy to answer on the show here in a future episode. So shoot me an email, dtkane at dtkane.com, or you could just leave it in the Facebook group uh, as well, at author, Or I guess you could tweet me as well, at dtkaneauthor. Um, right, so uh, this week's quest, uh, just a simple one here. I, I couldn't think of a real good one coming out of uh, the actual reading here. So uh, who is your favorite fantasy author? Um, I'm interested to hear, uh, you know, who uh, who my audience's favorites are. And don't <laughs> don't say D.T. Kane. I know you'll be lying. So, <laughs> uh, your favorite fantasy author, uh, other than other than D.T. Kane? No, <laughs> favorite fantasy author. Uh, period. I'm certainly not uh, putting myself anywhere close to uh, some of the titans who are, I'm sure, your favorite authors out there. Um, but I am interested to uh, see if there's any uh, any common threads amongst listeners or uh, how, diver- how, div- how diverse uh, we are in our uh, listening and reading preferences. Uh, okay, so there's the quest. That'll be uh, that'll just be one experience point. That's an easy one. Uh, or maybe it's not. Maybe it's not an easy one because you can't pick who your favorite author is. But uh, but regardless, that'll it'll be one experience. Um, Okay, and then just a final reminder, if uh, you have any other quest answers you want to get in from the first six episodes, get those in uh, uh, 
uh, soon here because I'll be going over uh, all of the answers in the first episode of March. So get those quest answers in. Uh, okay, so we'll close with our quote like we always do. Um, this one comes from Neil Gaiman, who uh, I suspect may be one of the answers to this week's quest. So many good uh, books out there by Mr. Gaiman. Uh, American Gods uh, is one of my favorites uh, in particular. Uh, but that's not where this quote comes from. This one comes from the Graveyard Book, which uh, probably geared a little more towards uh, a younger audience, but uh, I think it's a great book, too, about a, a orphaned boy who uh, grows up in a graveyard and is raised by ghosts. Uh, <laughs> talk about a talk about a concept uh, there. Um, just think of all the stories that come out of that. Uh, so that's a uh, that's a book I would certainly uh, recommend uh, if you're looking for a, a nice, you know, it, an easy read, but definitely a worthwhile read, and some deeper themes in it too. So definitely worth your time. Uh, but Mr. Gaiman in the Graveyard Book said, "Wherever you go, you take yourself with you." Um, wow, there's there's too much for me to unpack in there, and you know the uh, 30 seconds uh, we have to go over. Uh, the quote, but geez, uh, you know, I think I was looking for quotes about traveling because Baz is about to go on a trip here, right? And, you know, Baz, Baz is taking all of his baggage with him, right? As do we all, wherever, wherever we go. Uh, you know, is Baz, like I said, is Baz going to be able to overcome his, uh, his blind spot to work with Deliritus or, uh, you know, is he going to potentially, uh, self-sabotage or become a self-fulfilling prophecy here and, uh, you know, ruin their chances of uh of succeeding on this uh on this quest they're on because he can't work with Deliritus. Um we'll have to see, but uh we certainly know that Baz is taking himself with himself as he travels and uh you know and I think you know I think there's something about here there's something about self acceptance in this quote too, right? You know you know you can't run away from yourself, you know. You're you're always you're always with you, so you should uh you know, just learn uh, learn to love yourself and accept yourself uh, for who you are. You know, I wasn't uh, wasn't planning to go there uh, with this quote, but I think that's a that's a nice that's a nice take on it. So uh, we'll leave with that. Uh, you know, you are uh, you are certainly enough, uh, everyone everyone out there. So uh, so smile and know you know wherever you go, you got you, and uh, and that's enough. So. Uh, that's how we'll close the podcast today. So as always, thank you for listening. Uh, and until next time, this has been D.D. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Thanks for listening to D.D. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up if you liked it and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com slash podcast. DT Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com slash books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for DT Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com slash email dash sign up. If you'd like to connect, 
You can find DT Kane on Facebook at DT Kane Author or Twitter at DT Kane Author. Or send DT Kane an email at DT Kane at DT Kane.com. See you next week.